Welcome everyone to Sunday service here in the Sanctuary of the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. Welcome to all of you here in person in the temple and to those watching online. I am Nayaswami Pranabha and with me is Nayaswami Parvati. The reading this morning from Rays of the One Light with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita is by thinking can we arrive at understanding. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There are many places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in open conflict with the Pharisees. That is to say, with man-made as opposed to true mystical tradition. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, we see a good example of how they and he locked horns. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came and asked Jesus, why do your disciples break our ancient tradition and eat their food without washing their hands properly first? Jesus, after scolding them for their hypocrisy in observing lesser rules so carefully, while ignoring the much more important ones, said, listen and understand this thoroughly. It is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him common or unclean. It is what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It wasn't that Jesus counseled against such wholesome practices as washing one's hands before eating. In an age, however, when lesser rules were given too much importance relative to the truly important observances, cleansing the heart of impure desires, for example, he emphasized the supreme importance of loving God and of communing with him. The Pharisees, the orthodox religionists of his day, in other words, had brought true religion down to a level of intellectual hair splitting. They mistakenly considered the way to understanding to lie through a minefield of definitions, which they tried to refine to ultimate exactitude. Jesus taught, however, that the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. Without love indeed, there is no ultimate verity. Without fixity of purpose, born of the heart's devotion, the intellect wanders endlessly. It cannot settle on, for long on anything. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the intellects of those who lack fixity of spiritual purpose are inconstant, their interests endlessly ramified. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Demand to set fire to the forest of darkness. I built a fire of devotion in the dark forest of delusion. Alas, the fire only smoldered. Then thou didst come and set fire to a few of my frailties. That fire quickly spread, consuming the bushes of my prickly desires, 
my tall, towering vanities and the thick underbrush of my arrogance. The whole forest of my darkness is blazing, and I behold only thy light shining everywhere. I thank thee, Father, for thy help. Help me thus always. Let me open a path of light for all to follow. So I think looking at the last 2,000 years, if we focus only on the teachings of Jesus, we can say absolutely that thinking does not come to understanding. <laughs> I remember years ago, many years ago, um, there was a, a group that met for about 10 years. It was called the Jesus Seminar. Some of you may have heard of it. At any rate, they met for 10 years and they were really studying what Jesus said in the New Testament. And they came to the conclusion that none of the miracles were true. And I just thought, wow, really, really? <laughs> it's, it's just amazing how um, the mind can just go around and around and come up with things that are really pretty ludicrous in a way. Um, it's interesting that what Jesus really brought, and Swami Kriyananda in the longer reading and the promise of immortality, which I highly recommend, by the way, as a book, it's the first half of the year, and it's the readings that go with the topics that we're talking about, but it's much more explored, so much longer. But he said, Jesus brought a stirring command to take up the spiritual path. And in fact, he said in his own words, ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And I have a feeling that theologians looked at that and said, that's way too much. <laughs> you mean you want me to really change my life <laughs> and, and actually live what you're saying? Because when you go into the New Testament and you read just the words of Jesus, it's pretty straightforward. He's just talking about common sense living, but living the spiritual life in a common sense way. And so that really doesn't go with people who want to intellectualize about spirituality and just go on and on and talk about it and make theories and all of that. You, you can't do it that way. You must live it. And that spiritual adventure that Jesus offered stirringly to the people of his time, that's what Yogananda, that's what Master brought to us. Again, <laughs> this path of self-realization. It's real simple. Here's the techniques. Here's the right attitudes, meditate every day, and love God. And bingo, you're on your way. You're on your way. And, uh, but it does mean changing your life. And it also presents to the ego an incredible threat immediately. Because remember, not only are we saying the truth, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free, but then if you really want that, the heart responds to that. 
Why? Because that truth, what is the truth? It's about our oneness with God. And that's the, the biggest reality. That's the greatest reality that we have to aspire to. And our heart, our, uh, our soul, on a soul level, it goes, wow, finally, I've really found something. But it isn't so easy because once you start on the path, then you quickly come to things that the ego will rebel against. It just will not accept. And so I'm kind of going off of what Jyotish and Devi uh, talked about in their classes, which I have to say were really marvelous, just absolutely perfect for the time that we're in and to remind us all what we're doing here. And so it's that as you step forward on the path, God's grace will begin to come to you. You'll find things. You know, in the beginning, and Swami used to re recount this for us, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll get given some friends that maybe are spiritual and, and books that are interesting. Go to a spiritual section of the bookstore and get the books and read those for a while. But if you really want more, then eventually God will offer, you know, I was going to say give, but will offer to you the opportunity of a guru and maybe even a living spiritual teacher. What a threat to the ego these are, because immediately, once you come up to that place, you're dealing with, I give you my unconditional love, and I give you even more, my unconditional obedience. And so the ego just goes, no, no, no way. No, I'm not, I'm not going there. <laughs> I can't do that. And, and we, we have to go through that. We've all been through it. You know, any of the challenges that we see other people taking, we've done those, you know. That's why you can be sympathetic to others and try to help them, because we've all done it. We've had to go through step by step every step along the way. And, uh, and so we have to come to that place where I think the pain is great enough and the heart is longing enough that we say, let me explore giving my unconditional love to the guru and my unconditional obedience. As we say it here in our, in our uh, time here with Ananda, cooperative obedience. But even that raises hackles for people, <laughs> people who live here, <laughs> you know, or who are approaching taking a deeper uh, step on this path. And, it, and again, perfectly natural, not anything that any of us haven't had to face before. But unless we take those steps, unless we're willing to open to that, and it's step by step, you know, you're feeling your way and, okay, it still feels good. That's when the Guru's grace starts to come. And it starts to really, you take a step forward into the unknown. You know, I'm not sure about this. And things open up. And then you take another step and things open up again. 
And you know, the whole of the spiritual path is like that. It's like, we know what the goal is, but how, what it's going to look along the way as we take those unknown steps, make those commitments that are a little beyond us, that's what it always feels like. I love that, that uh, uh, picture, uh, that place in the movie, I think it's one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he comes to one of the tests of finally completing this, this test, and he has to do it. But there's a pit, there's a whole chasm, and it's, it's too far to jump. He looks at it, maybe I could, no, nah, you know, you're gonna go down. <laughs> and so he, he says, what is the test here? And the test is that the stones don't appear until you step out. One stone appears, and then the next stone appears, and then he's able to, it, it appears. But that's such a, a great example, metaphor, for what the spiritual path is about. God wants to know, as Master said to all of us, that we do love him. And he will, he will test us, we'll, we'll get tested, yeah. Because that's what gives us the strength to move forward. So we, we move out like that. And, uh, and as we do that, we find that that wind of God's grace is really there for us. It's a strength, it's a knowing. You know, people on this path, by and large, don't have many visions. And Swami even said, I'm not very visual, you know. But, but that feeling of the presence of God in your life is very tangible. And you notice that things work out. You know, I have to say in my own life, for many years, I was an only child. And I had parents. And, and I kept thinking, I've given everything to Ananda. I can't really take care of them. And I, I said this quite a lot, especially as they aged and, you know, I could see, uh-oh, you know, we'll see what's trying to happen here. But it was very interesting that, and again, I think Divine Mother, Master, God, tests your devotion. How, how much do you really believe that I will take care of you? You know, you're, you're not going to see what, how it will happen, but you have to know that that will happen. And for me, that played itself out just incredibly, beautifully, perfectly. My father fell ill, was ill for a month or two, and died. Boom. Gone. And, and I was very happy for him. He was Swami's age when he died, 87, and he had lived a good life, fine, not spiritual, but just nice person. And so he was gone, very hard for my mother. So, you know, I had to give her much more energy. I would normally just, you know, connect every couple of months and that kind of, no, I started calling her every week and, you know, just give her support. And so that went on and, and helped her move and move closer to us and all of that. And then at a certain point, um, she also got ill, except for this time, it was just me and her. And I rented an apartment for her in town, and, but I could tell that 
it probably wasn't going to work out. You know, I, I didn't, it was in the back of my mind, but I didn't know what to do about it. I thought at this point, so Pranava and I were living here, this was 2004, and uh, she was just about ready to move into this nice little apartment in town. And, but I thought, but she can't live there alone. And so I said, Divine Mother, here we are. And do you want me to move to town? Leave Pranaba here at the, at the village and move to town? And four days later, my mother died. Yeah, it just was, I had to go that far, you know, to really prove it, to test my, my ability to, to do that. But um, anyway, it was just a very interesting, and we had a wonderful time together the last four half years of her life. I spent a much more time with her, and we even went on a little vacation, all that kind of thing. But it was, it was just something that needed to play itself out in its own way, at its own timing. And so I did everything I could, and then it had to be up to Divine Mother's timing after that. And so we have that part. But I thought, you know, the other part which I've been thinking about a lot recently is the aspect of divine friendship. And it's interesting that this year for the uh, Ananda Sangha Worldwide Appeal, that's the theme for the year, in divine friendship. And it's very sweet, but I thought there, there's just this, this thing about friendship that really uh, comes in and supports us. Like for me, making those kinds of decisions in my life, I had very good friends who said, yeah, you're doing okay, it's all right. You know, you're, you're going in the right direction. But that aspect of divine friendship is really, really important. Just recently, we watched a fun remake of Around the World in 80 Days, and they made it in eight-part series. You know, the eighth part, 80 days, the eighth part was when they finished. So, and it's, it was light, you know, just well acted, but just kind of fun. And some of it was ridiculous and, you know, all of that, what they had to go through. But at the very end, the last episode, I really appreciated what they showed because these three characters who traveled around the world and did it in 80 days, one was an English gentleman who hadn't done anything in 20 years. <laughs> he just sat in his club and didn't know what to do with himself. He was afraid of life. The other person was a young woman whose father owned a newspaper, and she wanted to be a, a journalist. This is 1872 when Jules Verne wrote this, and it's like, that was not going to happen, you know, of someone like her, married off, well-placed, that kind of thing. And then, and then the last person was a black man, and he was French, and he um, was on the run. He was a, a waiter in the club where this Englishman was a member of. And he was a waiter, but his brother was in France fighting the revolution of some sort and was killed. And anyway, they, all of each of them were misfits. They really didn't fit into 
the society of their time. There was no way it was going to work for each of them. But by the end of their travels, they had been through so much together and disappointed each other and supported each other and loved each other and had fun, all of that, that they realized they had become friends, equals, black man, young woman, English gentleman, equals. And how they, and I thought, how are they ever going to end this? It's, it's just like, they're going to all be disappointed. And so how they ended it was, they had been on this great adventure, and they realized as they sat in the club alone, a club which two of them would never have been admitted to, <laughs> that, uh, that there were other adventures. And so when all of the, um, the members burst into the doors, into the room, they were gone. <laughs> they had left. They were off on another adventure because they knew that their lives would never be the same again. They had experienced something deeper, more profound on a, a human level. But I think that's what happens for all of us, is that once we enter on to the spiritual path and begin to have those profound experiences of support, of joy, of love, of being able to do things, build a temple that, you know, there was no way possible, that it, it's something you can't go back to a world that doesn't support that. And so it was just, I found it very interesting just to see that and, and then reflect on, but that's the stirring adventure that Jesus called us to that Master called us to, and it's that spiritual life adventure that we're all on. You know, so even if there's a few dull moments in between, don't worry about it, it'll get exciting again. <laughs> you know, it'll always be changing, it's always changing. If you're engaged in it, it's especially always changing, you know? I mean, how could it not? We're trying to grow spiritually and know that we love God, and that's the goal, you know. It's the greatest adventure ever. And so we have this time that we're in. Who cannot think about aggressive war? My God, really? What were you thinking, Russia, to attack a country that had no interest in, in fighting you? Sure, they're going to fight for their lives, but wow, really? But Master forewarned us. He said, these are the things that will happen. It will happen in, in your time because we're in such a huge time of change. And the resistance to that, we're seeing played out right now on, in the war. And the wanting to move forward with that change and that growth, they're conflicting there big time. And so, but what I thought, is I want to come back to that f feeling of divine friendship because I think that's what each of us has to offer to the world. Jyotisha and Devi put it in a beautiful way. I will just say, here's an example of that. The, um, the Arab Spring happened, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago probably. 
I was working in my office and I was signed up to uh, receive uh, emails from people who had questions. Well, I got one from a young girl in Egypt who was in the midst of the revolution that was happening in Egypt, in Cairo. And her question was, should I stay or should I leave? I'm a student. I have the opportunity to go to university, maybe in the US or Europe or someplace, but outside of Egypt. But I don't know what I should do. And I said, you know, you'll have to decide for yourself, but will you be more effective giving your life to the revolution at this point or seeking an education and coming back later to offer your services at that time? And I said, I don't know what the answer is, but those are your options and one way to look at it. I never, <clears throat> I never heard back from her, but the thing that impressed me the most and this was just email. <laughs> this was like, I don't know, 2010, 2012, whenever that was happening, that there was the option for her to reach clear outside of her country and the circumstances, which were incredibly turmoil, uh, big turmoil, and to, to seek friendship, seek a, an answer outside of her circumstances. And I thought, here we are, okay, everybody. You know, we have connections all over the world. And I thought the pandemic, interestingly enough, has forced us into making those connections by Zoom, by email, by, you know, whatever, all over the world. And so when things happen, think about who you might know. What I thought of is Dharmadas and Nirmala for years went to Russia, Moscow and outside of Moscow in Siberia doing retreats for our wonderful devotees there in Russia. And I thought of Mila, who was here for the dedication of the temple and brought a big strapping Muscovite with her who lived on the Black Sea or something. It was his first time here. But I just thought, you know, it's much more complicated now because we're so much more connected as a world. And so we really do have to live in that world where we're seeing, as Davy said, governments make war, not people generally. The people have to go along with it. But think about in your own life, we've all been on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to Assisi, to Southern California, to, you know, anywhere, India. Think about people that you might know that are being affected by this. We don't have many people, interestingly enough, actually in the Ukraine, but in Russia we do. And, and so think about how to be a divine friend. I thought it's like we're able to go under the wire of the war and the, you know, all this stuff. We can go under the wire with light and offer that to people. I think it would be extremely meaningful to people to know, to just receive an email that says, thinking of you, I hope you're okay. You know, nothing com you know, complex or anything like that, but just to know from here that that light is going out and that people can experience that. And uh, 
I was remembering, there was a thought there. Um, no, anyway, but, uh, but just to be able to serve people in that way, to let them know, oh, I know. When Master in the autobiography talks about the man who is in London, he's the SRF uh, center leader there, and he writes a letter and he says, I feel like the watchman at the tower, you know, because they were about to be in, possibly invaded in England from across the, the channel. And, uh, and he said, it's so interesting to think of you all in California, you know, at the center there and life being normal because our life is not. And so that we can enter into people's lives, go under that radar and bring light to people, anybody you might know. You know, we've lived all over with Ananda uh, in Europe and we've traveled in India and, and all of that. I've, I've never felt like I didn't have friends all these different places. So just see what you think. But I, I offer that to you. It's a way right now for us to really pray for sure and send light for sure but also maybe to be able to personally touch people who are, I mean, in Europe, scared to death. <laughs> you know, maybe, because everything, when you look at the map, it's like, it's all right there. It's all very close together. Anyway, um, but that's just something to keep in mind and to know that we can really help people through our friendship, just simple things, nothing uh, complex, but some things that we can do to share light out into the world in this time when it's going to, could get even more dark than it is. So, um, I don't know if I should, I should probably close, but this is, this is just something. The divine friends that I've had, I've had been blessed with a number of divine friends. And one of them was Seva, who is no longer here, and the other was Anandi. And there are others, too, that I feel very uh, close to spiritually. But this is the last email connection that I had with Anandi. She was so inward, and it was such an important time for her that I didn't want to bother her. But around the 14th of January, I just saw this in the Pooh's birthday book. <laughs> and it reminded me of her. It's the reading for, Jan for the month of January. And this is, and she got it, read it to her, and she emailed me back and said thank you. And, you know, she really appreciated it. So this was for Anandi, and I'll close with this. If you were a bird, and lived on high, you'd lean on the wind when the wind came by. You'd say to the wind when it took you away, that's where I wanted to go today. Oh, no.